So we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 19 tonight. We are in part two of a study that we're calling Hide and Seek. Hide and Seek. We've been looking through the concept, or we've been talking about the concept about how only Jesus can place you where nothing can shake you. A lot of times, due to circumstances, trials, temptations, guilt, shame, we tend to shrink back and hide when actually the only safe place for you to hide is in Christ. So when we talk about hiding, we're talking about a place of refuge where you feel safe. But what you find is whatever it is that you're finding refuge in, if it's not God, there will be a point when that fails you too. So only Jesus is a safe hiding place. So this is where we have the Psalm chapter 32 that says, For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, God says. I will guide you with my eye. So what we find is, as we hide in Christ, not only do we find refuge and shelter, but he provides a safe covering that the world can never provide. So last week we were talking about hiding our guilt and shame, covering it up. But we found out, actually, the best that we can do is like Adam and Eve, they had fig leaves sewn together, which is not really a really sufficient covering. And Jesus covered our guilt and shame by dying on the cross for our sins. That is a true sufficient covering for your shame, for your guilt, whatever it is. And that is also what brings true intimacy. So whenever you're afraid of somebody looking deep inside, we're talking about being an authentic person, right? Everyone values authenticity, being real, being genuine, and we totally hate fakers. At the same time, we all feel this need to like cover it up. We don't like who we are. But when you hide in Christ and find him as your refuge, you feel completely secure. So tonight, we're gonna be talking about hiding in isolation. That is the message title for tonight, hiding in isolation. We're gonna be specifically talking about the concept of failure, failure. And we're gonna look at the story in 1 Kings chapter 19 of Elijah the prophet. Now to set the stage, Elijah the prophet in the previous chapter just fought this crazy battle, okay? And it wasn't with swords, but it was a showdown on, on uh, Mount Carmel where you had the priests of Baal, they came out, they're cutting themselves, screaming, asking for Baal to answer them. And whichever God would show fire would be the God that proves that he's really God. So Baal, they're crying out to you, cutting themselves, and they couldn't conjure up Baal to do anything. And so Elijah's mocking them, so confident. And then he calls down fire from heaven by asking the Lord to intervene and the fire came down and consumed the sacrifice and the stones and licked up the water and everything else. And so Elijah told the people of Israel, he's like, all right, if Baal is God, serve him. But if the Lord is God, serve him, make a choice. And the people are like, oh, well, I don't know. And a lot of people do that, right? Especially as Christians. Uh, yeah, I wanna believe in God, I wanna place my trust in God, but it's kind of hard because like the world is tempting, enticing. And Elijah's thinking, if God shows up by just consuming the sacrifice, maybe everyone will be convinced, right? So maybe you're thinking, if God would just demonstrate his power, then I'll believe. 
If God would just prove to me he exists, then I'll believe, right? Well, Elijah does all that, but then immediately in the, the chapter we explore tonight, chapter 19, we see Elijah sink into depression and discouragement. Isn't that strange? The very same prophet who called down fire from heaven did this crazy battle, right? Is the same prophet who in the very next chapter runs in isolation. And listen to the things that he says, starting in verse one. Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, his wife, the queen, all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one by, of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Let's pray. Lord, we know that a lot of people feel like failures tonight. We know that a lot of people may be going through a lot of different things. And we pray that you would just show them, Lord, what true victory looks like. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just so comfort them, would show them the security that's found in you. And we just pray that you bless this Bible study. Help us to be attentive, not distracted, completely focused on what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So Elijah, you would think this great man of God who would pray and then it didn't rain for like three years and he prayed and it started raining again. You would think that guy would be so full of faith that Jezebel says, I want to kill you. He says, oh yeah? Why don't we call down fire from heaven and consume you too? And instead, Jezebel says that she wants to execute Elijah and Elijah runs for his life and then tells God that he wants to die. Isn't that weird? Now, you would look at that and maybe you're like, maybe he's bipolar, maybe he's schizophrenic, maybe he has some issues. Until you think about it, and all of us can relate to times of failure. All of us can relate with times of discouragement, where you thought God was going to answer a certain way, and he doesn't. You see, Elijah, I would assume, would watch this mighty work of God and there, therefore see everybody in worship of the Lord and the entire kingdom turns back to God, you would, you would assume that Elijah would see this mighty work of God and assume everyone else is just gonna bow down to God and that would be it, right? And that's not what happens. Even though they saw this mighty work and the fire came down and all that stuff, the people still continue to rebel. So it's very possible that Elijah saw this as a complete failure, and so he runs away in shame, runs away thinking, I'm no better than my father's. Now, we can't speculate. We can only speculate what Elijah was thinking at, at the time, right? So I'm not going to tell you this is exactly what he was thinking. But I think it's safe to at least assume that the depression and discouragement was due to the fact that he did not get the results that he thought he was going to get. For him to say that I'm no better than my father's, is for him to, in other words, be saying that I'm just a sinner, just like everybody else. 
I guess I'm no better than anybody else that's preceded me where there are people rebelling against God, they did wickedly against God, and they were not successful in anything they did. Maybe I'm the same way, right? And so you look at yourself and you look at your life and it seems like there's just nothing that you do that works out. You try to be successful. You try to make things happen, but it doesn't always work out the way that you planned. So how do you confront failure? What do you do when you have your plans, you have your goals, I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to do things the right way. And no matter how hard you try, it doesn't work out the way that you planned. So I know what happened to Elijah. Obviously, what he did is that he decided to hide. He decided to run away from his problems, run away from ministry. I mean, what's the use of even trying to minister to people if all I'm going to do is fail? If I can call down fire from heaven, right, God can do this amazing work and people still are going to rebel It just seems like everything else is gonna be a failure. Well, what happens? Verse five says, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Tonight, what we're going to be seeing is how to confront times of failure. And here are four questions that you can ask. We'll go through them one by one. But four questions to ask when you feel like a failure. So Elijah, what he did is he ran away, he was hiding, and then as he was seeking shelter under a broom tree, an angel came and touched him and said to him, arise and eat. So you have this miraculous thing that happens, right? An angel comes and gives him cake, awesome, and also a jar of water. Where did the jar come from? The angel must have brought it down. And so as he's lying down, as he's sleeping, here is an angel, a messenger from God, sent to refresh Elijah. And the angel didn't come to bring a message of discouragement. Elijah, what's wrong with you? How dare you? Who do you think you are? The angel first came and ministered to Elijah in his time of discouragement. But that's not all he did. After he laid down again, after eating and drinking, the angel of the Lord came back, verse 7, second time and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So, he was told after that that he would have to continue down this journey and go somewhere else. After he ate and drank, he was able to go in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, which is actually the same place as Mount Sinai. So there's three little things I want to say in this little section that we just read. I want to talk about the provision, power, and partaking of God's blessing. First of all, provision. What we see here in these couple of verses is that God provided for Elijah in his time of discouragement. Just because he felt like a failure doesn't mean that God failed to bless him and provide for him. James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God provided for Elijah as he was running away from God. 
Isn't that great? When you think about the times that you're really discouraged, isn't it true if you really think about it, you can count way more blessings. You can count way more reasons to be thankful than you can be to be discouraged. If you think about it, the times that God came through and you were like, there's no way. Even, even just waking up in the morning, the fact that you have good health, the fact that you have food on the table, the fact that you live in America, which means that you have access to so many amazing things, coffee and donuts and ice cream and whatever else, I guess, besides broccoli, right? You got amazing things going for you. So we can look at God's provision, his blessings, and be thankful. As Elijah could have looked at, wow, God went out of his way to send an angel to actually take care of me. Now, there was a guy named George Mueller who was a pastor in England, and he's very famous. He has a number of different stories about how he relied on the Lord to constantly provide for him as he was pastoring at an orphanage. There's actually one such story where he was at this orphanage, and they had no food on the table. And so they're saying, well, these kids are ready for school, but they have nothing to eat. So George Mueller prayed. There's about 300 kids. And then right as he was done praying, there was a baker that knocked on the door and said, yeah, I don't know why, but I kind of like couldn't sleep last night. And so I baked all this bread for you. Do you guys have any use for all this bread? Real story, okay? I'm not making this up. And he's like, sure, awesome. And then like a little bit later, this guy who's a milkman, his, his milk cart breaks down. Okay, this is before cars. His milk cart breaks down. So his wheel's like broken or something. And the milkman's like, oh no, I have all this milk and it's just gonna go to waste. I might as well give it to you. And it was just enough milk to be able to quench the thirst of all the children, 300 children, right? So that's a real story. So this is George Mueller's life is that he would never ask people for money. He made a habit of being able to rely on the Lord's provision. Listen to what George Mueller says in this quote. He says, truly, it is worth being poor and greatly tried in faith for the sake of having day by day such precious proofs of the loving interest which our kind father takes in everything that concerns us. If you think about it, since God is so faithful to provide for us, you really don't have to worry about what's gonna happen tomorrow. This is where we went through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear. Your heavenly father knows that you need these things, right? And so you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else is added unto you. So when you are in this, this moment of panic, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it? Just realize that your heavenly father knows that you have those concerns. But if we would just learn to trust in him and make that a daily habit, if God's been faithful in the past, he will continue to be faithful. So I don't have to worry about whether or not he will provide because he always has. So not only did he provide miraculously, but this food itself was miraculous. So there was power in this food. Verse eight, he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay, I don't know about you. I've never eaten food that kept me full for 40 days and 40 nights. That's never happened to me. I don't know if I would want that to happen to me, to be honest. I like eating every single day. It's a fun thing to do. But this was miraculous food from the angel that kept him full for those 40 days and 40 nights. All the way to go to Mount Sinai to meet with God. So think about this. What is it that happened in this little passage? 
God miraculously provided strength for Elijah to go and meet with him. He provided exactly what he needed, the exact amount of strength he would need in order to go and meet with God on the mountain. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even Samson, at the very end of his life, as he was disobedient to the Lord, he was sinning against the Lord, he discounted the Lord, Remember the very last thing that he prayed. He prayed for strength, just a little bit more strength. So he'd be able to extinguish the Philistines. And that's exactly what God gave him. Have you ever, maybe in your busyness of school, as you've gotten back in the cycle, have you ever thought things like, I'm too tired to pray. I'm too busy to read the Bible. I don't know if I have enough time to memorize verses. I don't know if I have that much energy to go and meet with this person and encourage this person. This person is sapping all my energy by talking to me about their problems. You know what that's like, right? Don't look at them. But you know what that's like, right? Hey, do you mind if I just vent to you for a little bit? And you're like, no, no, please, no. I barely have enough strength for myself. But you're like, sure, why not? Because you're afraid of like saying no. And they're just like going off. It's just like, no, there goes all my homework time. I would have spent that time doing homework, right? You're just losing it. You're just being sapped. I used to think like this. I have to remind myself of this, but this is what I used to think when I was in college and I was so busy. And I was like, I always was a night, nighttime Devo person. I thought about it and I was like, you know what? If I stay up a little bit later because I was reading the Bible and praying, I just figure logically God would probably give me enough strength for the next day. Like God's not gonna punish me for staying up because I was praying and reading the Bible, right? I, I can't like point to a verse that like proves that, but I don't think I was wrong. And for you, what you need to know is any sacrifice you give to the Lord will always be worth it. He will always supply the strength that you need for the task he asks you to perform. God's not gonna ask you to do something and then not give you the strength to do it. That's all I'm saying. So if it's the case that God wants you to minister to a friend and just be a sounding board, just be an ear to listen, instead of trying to do it on your own strength, why not ask the Lord for that extra strength? If you're feeling lonely, discouraged, you're feeling like a failure, remember that you don't have to trust in your own strength. You can rely on the Lord who's gonna give you the strength to do what he asked you to do. And so Elijah was given sufficient strength to go on a 40-day journey to go and meet with God. So whatever sacrifice is before you, when it comes to knowing God more, just remember that God will always supply the strength to do it. If you're thinking, all right, this year, I wanna do something crazy. I want to press in deeper. I wanna spend like 15 minutes in prayer today, right? I wanna wake up early to meet with God. He will always be faithful to supply the strength that you need. And lastly, this little section, not only did he provide, he gave power, but this is the last thing in this little section. We also have to partake of it. 
You see, God sent an angel to provide and care for Elijah in his discouragement, but the provision would have been useless if Elijah had not chosen to consume it. He said, arise and eat. He did not feed him. The angel did not lean over while he was laying down. He's like, here comes the choo-choo train. Like, that's how this train, trains don't make that noise. Chugga, chugga, choo-choo. There you go. <laughs> that was embarrassing. Right? So this angel did not spoon feed him. Arise and eat. He gave him a command. God set him up for success. Gave him the provision. He didn't have to cook anything. He didn't do any, have to do anything except simply consume it. Do you realize this Bible did not have to get cultivated by you? None of you had to learn Greek or Hebrew, do any kind of translation. None of you had to bind this book together. None of you had to get a printing press and put the words on the page. None of you had to do any archaeological discoveries. It's literally here. Boom, you got a Bible. Everything you need to know about God's will for your life is here. But you still have to pick it up and read it. You still have to consume it. Just think about how much technology is in this Bible. How many years, how many people throughout history had just wished, if only we had the words of God. People have died for Bibles. People in China today are persecuted for having a Bible. And you and I have full access to the divine counsel of God. And what do we do? Well, I just don't have enough time in a week. Okay, I get it. We're busy. We all have our challenges and temptations. But realize you will never receive the provision or the power that you need unless you partake. You will not receive what God wants you to have unless you just pick it up, meet with him, set that time aside. I mean, how much easier do you want it to be? Like, what else does God have to do? You can pray literally anywhere you want. And with today's technology, you can read the Bible wherever you go. Just pull out your phone. You have a physical Bible. We have so much access to God in our day and age. But we still have to be willing to meet with him. So here's the first question for this night. I said I would give four questions when you feel like a failure. First question is, do you see the lengths to which God loves you? Do you see the lengths to which God loves you? You see, Elijah was running away, hiding, feeling like a failure. God, just take my life. I just want to die. I feel terrible. But do you see what God was doing? Even as he felt like a failure, God sent an angel to minister to Elijah. Do you see the lengths to which God loves you? Maybe there's not an angel. I mean, like, that'd be really cool. Let me know. If tonight you go home, you go to bed, and an angel comes out and cooks you breakfast or something, that would be great. But there are lengths to which God has loved you. Uh, the most obvious reason, or the most obvious way is obviously the cross, right? Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. What else does he have to do? But wait, there's more. He still does bless you today. Not just 2,000 years ago, and that applies to today, but every single day we can look at our lives and thank God and look at the blessings and the lengths to which he pursued you. And so maybe you grew up in a Christian home, which is a great privilege. That's awesome. So like my parents did not grow up Christian. My dad grew up in a cult. Well, actually he grew up Jewish, but then 
after um, when he started going into college, he got into this one cult called uh, the Armstrongs. So it's the Worldwide Church of God. So that's what my dad was involved in, and God saved them out of that, right? So that's my dad, and my mom, also not a Christian, went through a whole bunch of different things, and God saved her. So if you feel like, well, it's not that big of a deal, I grew up in a Christian home, go home tonight, or if it's too late tonight, tomorrow, ask your parents, how did God save them? What's their story? Maybe they didn't grow up in a Christian home. Do you know your parents' testimony? And then think about, wow, isn't it amazing how God saves people? He'll reach out his hand, and he does it in so many different ways. Some people are on the edge of suicide, and God saves them. Some people are addicted to drugs or alcohol. Some people are stuck on success, and God saves these people, goes the lengths, goes the distance. And so when you see that, it gives you appreciation. Number two, look at verse nine. So afterwards, he went to a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord said, came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So here we know that Elijah is kind of being dramatic, right? So he's running away for fear of his life, but tells God he wants to die. So that's a little bit of a contradiction. So we know that he's being emotional. He's being discouraged. And we all have moments like that, right? But here, he goes to that place that he was called to go. He hides in a cave, and God asks him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you ever take a really long nap and you wake up and you have no idea where you are? <laughs> terrified. It's especially terrifying if you're traveling and, or you're sleeping over a friend's house and you wake up and you just have no idea where you are. So one of my life goals, if you've ever seen like these rock climbers that climb up on like uh, Yosemite, they have like these couple thousand foot cliffs and it's so large that you have to sleep on the side of a cliff. You actually like, and it's not like a little ledge. You take your tent and you like anchor it into the wall. And then you like harness yourself and you go to sleep. Can you imagine waking up and not knowing where you are? You roll out of bed. You just die. <laughs> Don't imagine too hard. That would be a great way for me to go though. It'd just be so like anticlimactic. Like going on a rock climbing trip. It's like, how did he die? Oh, he rolled out of bed on the side of a cliff and died. <laughs> That'd be great. Not really. So everyone knows what it's like to be disoriented. And here, it'd be good to ask yourself, do you have a type of disorientation as it comes to your position in life? So take that as an analogy. Do you feel disoriented? Like you just have no idea what's up and what's down, what's left and what's right. Why are you going to public school? Why are you going to private school? Why are you going to public uh, homeschool? I guess you don't go there. Why are you where you are? Apply that question to your life. What are you doing here? And then put your own name. Maybe your name is Elijah. Maybe it's something else. What are you doing here? Now when God's asking that question, Elijah, what we know for a fact is not God was curious where he was. It's the same thing with Adam and Eve, right? Where are you? He was asking that question to Adam. Not like he really needs to know, like, 
God's like, I lost him. The only man, I have to make another man, right? That's not what God's doing. Elijah, what are you doing here? And the question being pointed to Elijah, so Elijah could do the self-reflection. What am I doing here? So when you have a time that you feel like a failure, you're discouraged, where do you go? Where do you go to find comfort? Where do you hide? What is your cave? And when you go there, what are you doing there? What is your purpose for finding that place of isolation? Maybe sometimes you just feel like you have to get away, right? When you're having a time you're just feeling so discouraged, so bummed, so down, you walk into youth group, you walk into school, and people go, what's wrong? And you're just like, you just don't want to answer the question. You're just like, nothing. Oh, I can tell something's wrong. Let's sit down and let's talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Yes, you do. It will feel better, right? You just want to avoid people. You slap them. And they have more problems because then you slap them. That's assault. So maybe you're the type of person that likes to isolate. Run away. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I just want to take a nap. Go away. Be away from people. But here's something that you may not realize that would be an important lesson for you and I tonight. And it's right here in the Bible. There is such a thing as positive solitude and negative solitude. There are good reasons to be alone and bad reasons to be alone. A bad reason to be alone is to be away from your problems. A good reason to be alone is to be with God. Remember, you can never really be alone. God is wherever you go. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, even there you are. Right? So God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. There's no place in this universe where you can find a space where God isn't. So when you seek isolation, that should always be so that you can be refreshed, seek clear direction from God away from distractions. This is why Jesus got alone. Jesus never got alone so that he could have his alone time. Jesus was never alone and just like, you know, guys, I just need to be away from people. Like, all of you annoy me, okay? That was never Jesus. He went to go pray to the Father, and he spent those times on the mountain, alone, on purpose. But when you seek isolation, is it so that you're just away from people because they annoy you to death? You're bothered. You're annoyed. You're discouraged. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. The person who just doesn't want to hear from anybody else is further not just isolating themselves physically, but isolating themselves in their heart. Not willing to let other people bear that burden. Not allowing other people to give you counsel, give you direction. So when we are alone, it should always be to seek God's presence. So your second question for tonight is where do you run to when you feel worthless? When you feel like a failure, where do you run to when you feel worthless? Maybe your isolation is YouTube. Maybe it's music. And there's certain songs that you resonate with and you just want to get alone, put on your headphones, tune out the world, and listen to your favorite songs that resonate with the feelings that you have. 
Listen, that could be really, really dangerous. Let me warn you against especially certain secular music that will tell you everything that you want to hear because in those moments, it's solidifying all of your beliefs. So you're thinking that person, um, you hate that person, you dislike that person, you'll never forgive that person, and then you listen to songs that solidify everything that you believe. Because what you're doing is you're not really isolating yourself, you're finding the wrong voices to confirm what it is that you really want. So be careful what you listen to, what you watch in those times of isolation. Sometimes you need affirmation. And so what you do is you put yourself alone, but then you text a couple people looking for them to send you stuff, to make you feel good about yourself. Maybe you go on Snapchat. Maybe what you do is you look at things you shouldn't look at on the internet. Be careful in those times of isolation because you're never really alone. God is always there. He's watching and he wants you to seek him, not seek the things in the world. Look at verse 11 for a third section. So after he says, I alone am left and they seek to take my life, God says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Right here is that passage that we get whenever we talk about the still small voice of God. And when we're discouraged, we're in a dry season, we wanna hear God's voice, don't we? We want God to shout from the mountaintops, to give us a sign. Lord, as I eat my Campbell's uh, soup, I want you to like spell it out. Let me see in the alphabet exactly what it is that you want me to, to hear, right? The times of discouragement, we're looking for the voice of God. And yet, we see Elijah, who is a prophet, his prayer is being answered in a really familiar way. A still, small voice. Not the earthquake, not this great wind, not this flash of lightning or thunder or whatever, but it's a still small voice. Not only is a still small voice contrary to what we would expect from God, but a still small voice can often be overlooked. Unless you're seeking God's voice in that place of isolation, unless you're intentionally tuning out all the rest of the noise, you will not be able to hear it. That's why it's important to not be looking for the big flashy things, but to be faithful and diligent to open up this book. It's so simple. The times that I was the most discouraged, the times in my life when I knew I was doing the wrong thing, I was in a place of sin, I was not reading the Bible or whatever, I always knew in the back of my mind, if you just read the Bible, if you just pray and seek the Lord, everything will be fine. Like that's way too simple, no way. And you're like looking for God to do something else. But oftentimes, it's that still, small voice of God that we need. So that's why it's important to have consistent time when you can get away and solely focus on his voice. You don't want to lose track of what he's saying. You want to be able to hear him. But here, I think this is a larger lesson about our measure of success and our view of how God works. Elijah was discouraged originally, remember, because Ahab and Jezebel did not turn from their sin, were not convinced, converted, changed, whatever. And so Elijah says, I'm worthless. Nothing I'm doing is working. 
And so many times we measure success by what we can see right away. Sometimes you evangelize and then you never evangelize ever again because the person didn't respond positively. Sometimes you think, you know what, I'm going to do something nice for somebody. And they like completely don't change. They're terrible, right? Like you think, I'll be nice to this person that I despise so that they change. And you do something nice and they're still a terrible person. And you think, well, I'm never doing that again. It didn't work. You don't know if it worked or not. The only way that you know that it's effective is by listening to the still small voice of God and asking yourself, was I obedient? Because if you're obedient, that's all God's asking you to do. He's not asking you to change people, circumstances, situations. He's asking you to fulfill the calling that he has when he asks you to do things. That's it. So changing your measure of success by changing the way that you view the way that God works. The way that God works is often not the earthquake or this great wind, thunder, lightning, fire. It's the still small voice. If you think about what a miracle is, a miracle is a suspension of the natural order, right? We talked about this when we talked about miracles a couple years ago. Um, but I forget who it was. I'm going off the top of my head. I can't give him credit, but maybe, maybe I will one day. There is a guy who talked about, if you think about like everything that happens in the universe, right? We talk about miracles are a suspension of the natural order. But let's say that the seasons, the four seasons of summer, spring, winter, fall, Let's say that spring only came once every 100 years. Wouldn't it be like a miracle when spring happened? Imagine like you're so used to the universe being a certain way and then spring happens once in your lifetime. Wouldn't you be like in awe? Wouldn't you like be stoked out of your mind? But it's because we get used to it. So we're looking for these big flashy things for God to do because we're so used to what he's already been doing. And that's where we have to take a step back and be like, wow, that is pretty amazing that I'm here. I'm alive, I'm breathing, I'm thinking, I'm feeling. And God is speaking. And I don't want to become numb to that. It's really important. And here, here's a like side note that's kind of relevant to the passage, but maybe just as one of those prophetic things. I think personally, maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. We need to be careful, myself included, that we don't become desensitized to Bible studies. We can't treat it like a common thing. The word holy just means other, uncommon. It's different. We can't be so used to tuning out the word of God. We can't be so used to times of Bible study, reading, and I do the same thing every single night, every single morning, read the same amount of scripture, memorize the same amount of verses, pray the exact same things, exact same length. We need to make sure we're changing it up and reminding ourselves the beauty and the wonder that it is to be able to meet with God. So that means turning off your cell phone at night. That means putting your cell phone away during the Bible study, not talking to the person next to you, not being distracted, being focused, not missing out on the great privilege it is to be able to meet with God and what he might have to tell us. So here, here's your third question. Third question is, when you feel like a failure, what is God trying to teach you? What is God trying to teach you? The next time that you are so discouraged, you just want to cry, be alone, don't want to talk to anybody else, look at the circumstances you're in and ask yourself, but wait a minute. If God is sovereign, that means that even this situation 
God has allowed me to be here and God is using for my growth. So what is God trying to teach me in this situation? Let's look at this fourth section and we'll be done. Verses 13 through 18. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. Okay, so now he recognizes he's in God's presence and now he's wrapping his face. Went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said the exact same thing. I guess he didn't like learning his lesson, right? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. By the way, probably not a good way to like approach God. I've cared about you a lot, okay? I've done a lot of things that you should be proud of. Been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone, I'm the only person in the world who cares about you. I'm left and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Maloha, Mehola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet, and here's the, the key verse, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal in every mouth that has not kissed him. <laughs> I love that. I'm sorry, really immature. <laughs> so stupid. I was just thinking like, like Elijah's sitting there. He's just like, but why would they kiss him? It's like God throws it in there in this like super serious moment. I'm sorry. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, no, I'm kidding. All right. Rare moment. I can't see when I laugh either because my eyes get so small. <laughs> okay. All right. So, oh Lord, help me. Okay. <clears throat> so here, the point is, whenever we're, um, whenever we're discouraged, we always think we're the last person. We're the last person on planet Earth who feels this way. There's nobody else. And what God wants to show us in this little passage here, as we're concluding everything that we talked about, is that's exactly what the enemy of your soul wants you to believe. When you're discouraged, when you feel like you're being tempted or you're under persecution or trial, that you're the only person that feels this way. This is Satan's tactic to isolate you, to make you feel like you're the victim. There's no one else like you. But the Bible talks about to be encouraged because there are brethren around the world that experience the very same trials that you and I have. So knowing that, instead of saying, I'm the only one who feels this way, no one else can understand my pain, no one else could last a day in my shoes, ask yourself, wait a minute, if I'm experiencing this pain, that means that I can't be the only one. So who are the other people that I could share this burden with? 
who are the other people I could minister to because I have a similar testimony as the other person? Listen, maybe some of you who are here are going through things that I will not be able to understand. Some of you are going through situations where your parents are getting divorced or have been divorced. My parents are together. Some of you are going through situations where a family member has cancer or a sickness or illness, and I may not be able to relate with that. Your friends may not be able to relate with that. I may have pain that you have absolutely no conception of, but the wrong thing to do is to take pride in that and to say, no one understands what it's like to be me. Because the minute you do that is the minute that you dismiss how many other people that you can minister to. When Elijah is hiding, running in isolation, remember he's isolating himself from 7,000 people who may all feel like they're alone. And so what God does is he, he sets him up by saying, hey, listen, what you're gonna do is you're gonna anoint this guy Hazel as king over Syria. So it's gonna be fine, okay? You're worried about Ahab. You're worried about Jezebel. It's gonna come to an end, okay? Besides that, he says, I want you to anoint a successor who is Elisha. God was giving him a friend. He was giving him a companion so that he wouldn't have to feel alone. So your final question is this. Are there burdens that you are bearing alone? Are there situations that you are not sharing with other people because you feel like they can't handle it? They don't know what it's like. I'm 30 years old now, okay? I'm getting up there. No offense to people older than me. But I'm not a kid anymore, which is kind of strange because people still think I look like a kid. So what I'm saying is I've been through enough situations, conversations, and doing youth ministry for 13 years that whatever you share with me, I'm probably not going to be surprised by. And many of us here, unfortunately, because there's sin in this world, we can testify to a number of different hurting situations. And we want to share that pain with you. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, Jesus bore our burdens. He took our pain, our shame, our sin to the cross. So whenever we say, you don't know what it's like, remember that he was a man who was despised and rejected by men. That we esteemed him stricken and afflicted by God. When we saw him, we despised him. That God himself, Jesus Christ, went to the cross bearing a pain that none of us could ever understand. Yet he did that so that he could bear your burdens and my burdens. And so he asks us to do that with each other. So in review, in conclusion, just want to review those four questions. Number one, do you see the lengths to which God loves you? When you feel like a failure, do you see God's provision in your life? Because he wants to provide the power sufficient if you're willing to partake. Number two, where do you run to when you feel worthless? What do you seek as a place of shelter and comfort? Number three, what is God trying to teach you when you're in a time of discouragement and suffering? And finally, are there burdens that you are bearing alone? Elijah complained about being the only person 
on the planet. But he was wrong because God always has a remnant. He always has others that he's seeking to build this community of love so we could go out and minister effectively in the world. Let's pray.